0: fast you're going. What?
1: How fast you're going. I don't know. Ten. Eight.
0: Be advised. This is an explicit podcast. So if you're easily offended, get your panties twisted into a knot. Turn this off before you get butt hurt and mad. Start to cry. Have to run to your safe space. All opinions are those of the host and his guest, and do not reflect the opinions of any government agency. Welcome to Motor Cop Conference Podcast. I'm your host, as always, the Iceman. excuse me i don't know why i got a frog in my throat we uh we do have a guest today which i'm excited about hopefully we're gonna get two episodes because we're gonna do some serious and then we're gonna try to do funny on a second one so uh i talked to this guy for over an hour before he's extremely entertaining he's a good guy to talk to so we're gonna introduce him we'll get his background let him talk about himself for a little bit so we're gonna get uh jason cheney up in here to talk to us uh i got my clapping sound effect right here that's with the non-live studio audience right there <laughs> well, welcome to Motor Cop chronicle podcast jason
1: oh yes please be seated please be seated
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> he, he's on uh, prior law enforcement uh we're going to get into that uh he he was a, a chief of police for a, a, a little while. I'm not sure how long. Uh, been a police officer Four. before that? Yep, fourteen months. Fourteen months he made the police chief, and mm-hmm. he he he's got he's got a hell of a story to say about it. Uh, when we were emailing or direct messaging before, he's like, "Well, I don't know, you know, I, I think you." mentioned in one of the direct messages that there's some people in a certain area or or something that don't don't like you or cops or something that don't like you and i'm like i don't care they don't have to listen to me this is my podcast (laughs) right i mean i don't have to worry about my sponsors dropping me unless i'm just gonna stop paying for everything myself (laughs) (laughs)
1: right i'm gonna unsponsor myself yeah yeah i'm gonna unsponsor
0: myself so uh let's just um talk about part of your start your career uh How'd you start? And we'll just go from there.
1: Okay. Um, I got interested in law enforcement when uh, I had several friends that were patrol officers. And uh, it was kind of one of those deals where I went and done a ride along and uh, just instantly knew, you know, that's that's what I wanted to do. And um, so I we went from there, applied, I think, in 2006 when I began my career. Went to the South Carolina Criminal Justice Academy. And I worked for Florence City Police for almost 10 years. Maybe it's may been so long ago. Um, maybe a little. It was right at the 10-year mark. Let's just say 10 years.
0: So you were there a while then.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I stayed with the one agency. Um, like I said, right at 10 years. I uh, Started my own business. And uh, the agency in Florence was an accredited accredited agency and so you know basically was learning a lot of paperwork and keeping up to state standards and when i started my business i wanted to keep my law enforcement certification active and here in south carolina you have to maintain basically like a a part-time job with uh you know your minimal training requirements yearly and so i found a i was actually coaching youth football in a neighboring county. And I did that for almost three years working part time and just getting to know that chief that I was working under, uh, it was an election year, obviously a new sheriff got elected. He he and that new sheriff were really good friends. He wanted to bring him on board as one of his, uh, I can't remember if it was chief deputy or just one of his lieutenants, (laughs) but nonetheless he decided he wanted to you know leave as our chief and you know go work for the new sheriff and because i the the department i was working part-time with they were a non-accredited agency because it was a small town man maybe like population of i don't know 900 1100 and we only had six officers so being i came from an accredited agency and was familiar with um you know how the what was required to maintain accreditation things like that um that chief and the mayor sat down with me and kind of pitched the idea to me um about running a department and obviously if you you know if you take your career seriously in law enforcement everybody wants to get promoted um not thinking about all the administrative uh, responsibilities that comes along with the title, I was going to jump head first in it. Um, Accepting the job offer, you know, they kind of pitched it to me as they was going to uh, assist me in getting administrative training and go to chief school, which obviously never happened. But um, nonetheless, you know, I didn't even talk it over to my wife. I was so excited, you know.
0: Well, I mean, that's a, a big deal. I mean, somebody comes up to you and wants you to be chief of police of a town. And, like, even me, you know, I'm f- too far in right now. I'd be like, oh, no, come back to I me mean, in a couple of years. I'm too close to retirement on one job. I'm like, but I'm like, well, hell yeah. I mean, it's, it's like you made it to, even with a small department, it's still like you made it to the top up there. You, you're, right. you're the man. Right.
1: And, you know, um, You know, I had a paving business going and I I was, you know, very successful with that. And, but obviously being self-employed, no benefits, right? So, um, you know, taking that job would add another $55,000 a year in my pocket plus benefits. Um, you know, so I looked at it like a win-win and I, like I said, I looking at it now with hindsight being 2020, um, you know, I probably should have put more thought into it. Uh, the responsibilities that come along with it. And, um, like I said, obviously I didn't, I jumped in ahead first. I was excited. And, uh, you know, therefore from right at 11, about the first year, things, things went really well. Um, but I, you know, I'm sure we're about to get into that, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, the first three months were, were really good. Um, my when I came from Florence City, I had um, pharmaceutical diversion training, uh, drug addiction training. I went to like four years of drug addiction classes, and that, that was basically my thing. I, you know, I moved from patrol here in South Carolina to what's called a ranger unit, and basically, you pretty much free roam. And once I, you know, moved up into that position. I started focusing more on doing interdiction work and that's, um, you know, mainly, mainly was my main focus doing interdiction. And so I had a lot of experience, you know, as far as, you know, doing traffic stops, drug interdiction, um, uh, several game, you know, identification, investigation, training classes. Um, I guess what I'm getting at is I had, you, you,
0: you had a um, lot of street knowledge under your belt,
1: right? Right. I had a lot of lot of street knowledge, a lot of um, you know investigative training. Um, I was very knowledgeable, and you know, I, I took like you know the leadership classes you have to take.
0: Oh yeah, they sent me. Um, I've, been to, I've been to,
1: right? F, you know, so
0: FBI leaders school, and I take another leadership school. And-
1: I, I, I think the best way to explain it would be I probably had enough qualifications to maybe be a sergeant <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> but uh you you know when it comes to being a chief you know you're responsible for everybody's uh you're for turning in everybody's training hours to the academy you're responsible for making sure everybody's certification stays up to date being that I was a small town um you, you, I was basically in charge a,
0: of you didn't have a training guy that did yeah, all of that for right
1: me. No, I, I was responsible for everything. Like I, I had to schedule training. I had to make a schedule. Um, I had to keep the budget balanced, um, uniforms, mechanic work, everything, you know, basically a lot of people don't realize that being a police chief in a small town, is probably harder than being a chief of police in a, in a large department because you don't have, you know, training guys, um, you don't have like a city, a city shop per se to send your uh, patrol units to when they need fixing. Um, yeah, you know, a bit, you're, what you're, a big like departments
0: you have you have people that are over training a captain or whatever overtraining. You have you'll have you know another person that's worried about you know you have a a, a chief civil deputy that handles budgets and all that mm. stuff like that and you, yep. you're like hey i want to buy this and they're like no that's not in the budget because they're the one handling your money and <laughs> exactly you went yeah. from being a, a, a street cop it sounds like it. to being an administrator because i mean it sounds like a lot of these chiefs and stuff like that nothing, nothing against them because I'm, I'm friends with the chief in a mm. medium-sized uh, city out here and I remember when he was a beat cop. Well, being a, a street cop, interdiction drugs, and you go to sitting to administrator. I mean, it's a, two totally different. I don't know if I could do it. Yeah, and, and it really to. is.
1: And, and you know, on top of all of that, um, you're obviously responsible for handling all the evidence. You're responsible for everything, you know. And um, I actually had videos of me. You know, I would go work. I would go out with my, you know, I would show up at 8 o'clock in the morning. I would try to uh, get all my paperwork finished, which consisted of, uh, you know, checking off reports, um, logging in, any citations that were written. I would try to get all my paperwork done first thing in the morning, uh, which normally consisted of about 7 or 8 in the morning to about lunchtime. And then um, basically around twelve one o'clock. I would go I would go home and rest up for maybe five or six hours, and then I would go back around seven thirty eight o'clock at night and because it was a small department and we didn't have a uh, budget you know for training, I basically taught the officers that was working under me everything I learned doing interdiction um everything I learned you know, taking the game classes and investigative classes and and not everybody um you know, I probably had, I probably had two guys that was working under me that, um, one guy had like 25 years experience, but 18 of those years he worked in the courthouse. So, um, you know, he knew the ins and outs doing traffic stops, answering, uh, service calls. But as far as, uh, we had a real plot, uh, problematic area, uh, which was a set of apartments, And believe it or not, in this small town, 90% of every drug-related or violent crime service call that came out came from these apartments. And so I really taught those guys how to set up. And um, I'm not going to say I taught them. I passed along my knowledge, um, you know, doing basic interdiction and preventative patrolling. And And it really, like I said, things... You know, we went from a pretty pretty high crime rate, you know, given the size of the town. Um, as you know, man, co- you know, community-oriented policing. I was trained by old school guys. Um, you know, I know some people.
0: I tell guys. You know, they kind
1: of, yeah, right. they kind of frown upon the whole. Getting out the car and off your ass. <laughs> now see, you
0: I, know, I'm, and, and I'm an old school guy, and I don't have the opportunity <clears throat> to train people like I used to. But I'm in motors and stuff like that. But when I did, I'm like, you know, the guy, the last guy, just uh, FTO that took my place in uniform when I went back in the motors with this new department. I mean, and he still does it. And uh, he, yeah, I'm, I'm like, if you're driving around neighborhoods, uh, whatever, you see parks and you see people out there park the car, put the car in park, get out, get out of the car, and go walk up and start talking to people. Don't,
1: right. Physically, don't just, physically get out of the car. Yes. Get out
0: of the vehicle, and don't just drive by and slow roll people, giving them the stink eye. Right. Because just because some, I tell people, just because somebody lives in a bad area, don't make them a – They don't mean they're a bad it, person. It, they may it, be trapped it, there. Can't afford it to move. at
1: all. And exactly what you just said, man, you'll find. I found, and like I said, I got roughly 14 years' experience altogether. Um, I found in my time, you know, some of those people are your best friend when it comes to solving
0: cases. Yep. Especially because they realize you ain't just out there trying to put everybody in jail.
1: Right. And and like you just said, you know, uh, showing up to their community, unassing your car and talking to them and showing them that you have, uh, you know, uh, a genuine concern for their community and you're trying to do better. A lot of times, uh, it, it makes investigative work so much easier, especially when you gain that trust and they see, you know, you're, you're trying to make a difference. And like I said, man, some of those uh, older ladies that sit on the front porch all day and are around 70, 75 years old, those, those, uh, it's a valuable tap of information
0: most of the time. Yeah, yeah, like I said, I've driven to. I used to carry. Uh, they've heard me talk about in the past. I used to, you know, go like to Sam's and I buy the big old containers of like the ring pops and stuff like that for you know I'd see kids outside and if you want to, sometimes some of these parents are, are real iffy about talking to you <clears throat> especially in some of these rougher neighborhoods. You walk up. You got yourself. I tank. would bring the. uh I would bring the uh thought I had that on silent <laughs> and uh i'd I'd walk up and I'd start giving out these ring pops to the children to kids, which that does that breaks the ice enough where I'm able to speak to some of these parents that may have been a little standoff to me mm-hmm. and they could see that you know oh look he, he's a regular guy I had uh one of the guys we were out one time in the park area, and he was a rookie guy who was riding with me he's like and he was way younger than me because I don't do this no more because I'm too too old in fact. <laughs> but I was like, some of the kids were out there shooting uh, basketball. And, he said, and I said, go ahead. Go go shoot basketball with them. I mean, we got our radios mm-hmm. on. We can hear. If we get a call, we'll take the call. Go out. So he was out there shooting basketball with the kids. You got to get out in the community. Let these people know that you're not a robot. You're, yep, 100%. You're, you're not the bad guy. Because some of these, some especially the younger kids, the only time they might have seen a cop was arresting their cousin, arresting a family member, or something like that. Yep, that's all they see. You got to put that different perception because I, I got to the point where I could walk around certain areas or, or functions, and little kids would come up to me that you know knew my name, hugging me and everything else because I was getting out and I was I would walk to schools. I would go during lunchtime, especially to elementary schools. It's the greatest place. Excuse me. The elementary schools. I would go during there, and I would go sit down in the lunchroom and eat lunch with these kids.
1: Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I, I kept a basketball, a football, um, little cheap stuffed animals, things, things like that. And uh, like you said, man, a lot of a lot of these younger kids, and then you have, you know, the parents that that kind of tra- I call it training their children to be scared of the police. You yeah. know. Um. But, you know, like I said, once you build that relationship with them, it's uh, it, it makes life easier for everybody. And and like I said, if my personal opinion on it is, is if you're in law enforcement, you should have a genuine care to want to help. You know, no matter what district or wherever you're patrolling, you know, it, like me, I patrolled the whole time I was with Florence City. Um, I worked the same area for eight years. I knew. Every I, mean, I ain't gonna say everybody, but I knew pretty much everybody in my area, and like you say, man, I would get out or get out, talk with them. Um, a lot of times I broke the ice with you know, like you said, with ring pops. I used humor, you know. I would uh, park my patrol car and walk right up to their stoop, like, "Hey, man, I was coming to talk to you about your car insurance," <laughs> <laughs> you know, and get them get them laughing, man. And and um, yeah, you know, I never 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 had a problem, and you know in eight years, I never received a formal complaint against me. Um, I always thought that was pretty amazing. Um, You know, never had nobody, not a single complaint because I always, I I treated everybody the same.
0: I treat everybody the same, but nowadays people just are, uh, they complain on you for being, yeah, yeah, I mean, I've the department I work for is real good at it, but you know, not just recently, i this will tell a short story just about you. But just recently I got an email sent to me, the sheriff, the major, and uh, stuff like that from a school principal, and SRO, including some parents uh, on, you know, it was extremely foggy. I was out directing school zone traffic, and they were just about uh, how good of a job I was doing. They would thank, you know, keeping everybody safe. Mm-hmm. Big, big, long praise email. Great. Don't get those too often. Uh, no. So it was nice. You know, the exact next day, next day, my sergeant calls me not, not to cry, but he to, to laugh, because a captain called him, because this was the next day. Like, if it was the Monday I got the letters, this was Tuesday, he called me. It's like, you, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what? <laughs> he said, I was in the same exact school zone, doing the same exact job I was doing the day before. But somebody called and complained saying that I wasn't Doing my job, and the sergeant's like, the captain didn't receive this email. He's like, you're joking, right? He said, like, didn't you get that email yesterday? He's like, no. So the sergeant my sergeant sent it, sent it to him, and he's like, oh, he said, don't don't even tell him about this, because he's going to. I'm like, he's like, he's like, really? He said, hes, like, he's like, D- these dudes are doing, they're going beyond out there, and you know, he said, this was probably one person that probably had to wait 15 seconds because I got like I something told him, this is a, a four lane. Uh, st- major state highway. Hmm. I'm not going to get out there and stop twenty cars for one person to pull out. Right. You can wait right. fifteen or twenty seconds. Okay, now if you start start backing up, I will let them out. But I'm not stopping. You know, a four lane highway for one person. You can wait.
1: Wait, well, yeah, yeah. We got to get a little line going for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah little, but
0: you know. But I mean, it, <laughs> but that's what I'm just saying. I mean, doing the same exact job. That I was doing the day before that everybody was praising me about this. The next day somebody's bitching about it.
1: Yeah, that's how it goes, man. If people get their ass <laughs> chap, need some blitz, sticks <laughs> for, for the most minor things. But um you know, back to the chief thing when, you know, like I said, man, I had absolutely zero administrative experience. And um one of the first things that happened is my my eighth day. Uh, and you and I talked about this, you know, when we first spoke, um, uh, you know, the new sheriff, like I said, the new sheriff got elected. Um, he, he had a meeting, a meeting with, you know, uh, basically the na- all the neighboring towns, chief police, um, and the sheriff, we showed up at the sheriff's department and yeah, I guess he just, you know, wanted to get to know everybody. And, um, I can't remember what all the meeting was about. It was about an hour long, and you know, here's me with a street cop mentality. Uh, toward the end of the meeting, you know, he he goes around the table, and uh, you know, there's a lot of politics. Unfortunately, when you reach huh. that yeah. when you reach that level, um, and and you know, the sheriff being an elected official, um, obviously, you know, when a new sheriff gets elected, normally he brings his people in, and, you know, like you and I said before, even though here the other chiefs were just like me, they were appointed by a mayor who's also an elected official, (laughs) who rubs elbows with the sheriff and who they all rub elbows with, city councilmen, uh, local state representatives, you know, and so on and so forth, long story short.
0: He's like a big circle (laughs) jerk.
1: Right. Yeah. It's a a big circle jerk. And, and normally all the other little chiefs are the pivot men, but, um, so he goes around the table, you know, and each chief or respected representative of said department, you know, they're all, you know, sheriffs like asking them questions and they're given the, the typical, um, I'm reading off a teleprompter. Yes. Men answers. Right. And so I thought it was a good idea um, after I heard enough of the political bullshit that I could stand. When it came my turn, I, you know, I was like, hey, you have anything to add? I was like, yeah, I just wanted to know why we're all talking about politics. And, you know, because my, my opinion is politics doesn't belong in law enforcement at no level. And everybody just kind of looked at me like, oh, my God, I know this jackass <laughs> didn't just say this. And I really didn't see I did anything wrong. You know, I was like, I'm just, you wanted my honest opinion. This, this is my opinion. Should we be talking
0: about how to keep the community and the the, counties, the counties safer? And we're talking about who to talk to, to get the biggest donation from,
1: right? You know, you brought us here to basically sign our um, multi-jurisdiction agreement. Um, We should be talking about what's going on in our towns like, hey, you know, I'm a small department. I might need a couple of deputies to come and help out on Friday nights or Saturday nights, but we're not talking about this. We're talking about, oh, yeah, when I got elected, you know, this this councilman such and such is a new guy. Who gives a shit? I mean, he doesn't, you know, but like I said, I, I you know, I immediately put my foot in my mouth um, being honest and, uh, you know, it kind of snowballed from there, but So after all that, I'm I'm like maybe in my 10th day. It's like my second week. And once I started realizing, like I said, the responsibilities that come with it, um, our evidence room, when I first took over as police chief, I shit you not, was in the back of our department, there was was like four old jail cells because it's like, one of these old uh, Andy Griffith Show type departments <laughs> to where the jail and the department are are joined together, right?
0: Now I've seen them. We've had right. some. So yeah.
1: <laughs> our evidence room consisted of one of those cells. Obviously, the cell door is locked with a skeleton key that I had. Um, the evidence and evidence paperwork was... <laughs> they had took a piece of tin for like a tin roof mm-hmm. on the inside of that door, pop riveted a chute behind where you would put the tray in for like a prisoner. And so there's basic storage system. When I took, now like I said, this is from previous administration. If you was an officer, you came in, opened up the evidence law, which hadn't been wrote in mind you since 1996. And this is in and <laughs> 15
0: so, 2016. So nobody right? had logged nothing in it since 96. <laughs> oh,
1: they, they dropped plenty, but nothing was logged. So they would basically go in and they would open the flat where the tray goes, staple their paperwork to the evidence bag, and just push it through the
0: chute just straight s- into the s- floor. Slide it down.
1: <laughs> straight into the floor, man. I I, was, I was just <laughs> not. And you could literally look in through the little what is it like a two by two foot wide but not even two foot wide maybe what 10 inches wide by maybe two foot tall window <laughs> and, and you could look in the window and just see like the mound of evidence at the floor <clears throat> so i go and um i go and i got the skeleton key and and another strike i had against me was i didn't know any of these people and so instead of asking the sheriff's department for help, or one of the lieutenants that the sheriff brought in for help. Uh, I called guys I trusted from my old department, which was the next county over, mm-hmm. because I knew these guys. Like one of them was a real close friend of mine. I knew him before I even got into law enforcement. He was my training sergeant. Um, you know, he he taught me a lot. I was a lot from the guy. I trusted him.
0: Same thing I done. So, call people that I know <laughs> and trust. <clears throat>
1: right exactly but they took offense to that you know it was like I didn't want them to be in my loop you know but it, it wasn't like that at all I was just like I said like um, basically what you just said is verbatim I, tr- I trusted him uh, I knew he wouldn't tell me anything other than what I needed to be doing so long story short I took the skeleton key I opened up the jail cell door and I had him on FaceTime and so I flipped the camera around and I just kind of panned across this old jail cell with all this evidence in there. And his exact words to me was shut the door, lock that motherfucker. Don't touch it again until you get slid down here to do an audit. And I was like, well, what's, what's that? And he was like, dude, they, they didn't, they didn't train you. I mean, they didn't like give you any insight as to what you're responsible for. And I was like, nah, he just, they basically told me I was the chief,
0: and here you go. Here you go. You the chief. You the boss. Here you go. Good luck. All right.
1: You know. And, and and so I didn't really. And like I said, at this point is when I started to realize what I signed up for. Like when I when when I agreed to these terms and signed my name on this paper, I took responsibility of all of this. Right. Uh, it's all. It's, and,
0: and that's your shit show. That's your monkeys right, and, and that's and your circus now.
1: Exactly. And 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 you know when when he explained that to me, the severity of the shit pile that I just stepped in really I got a good whiff then, you know. And um you know, so he kind of walks me through the audit process and uh Sled here stands for State Law Enforcement Division. They basically um their offices are located directly I, I ain't gonna say directly, but it's it's right there at the academy. And if if you're involved in a on-duty uh, shooting, or if you're a small department and you know you don't have the capabilities to handle, say, like a murder investigation or a series of burglaries or home break-ins, um, you can call SLED and they'll send somebody down to assist you. But if if your nuts get in a sling, you answer the sled, basically. <clears throat> and I hate to say it, but down here, and, and I know, you know, people from this area here, there's some people, 90% of them is going to agree. And the ones that got friends that work there, and they're going to say, oh, no, it's not like that at all. But it is like that. Like, sled has a reputation here of, of burning great cops, like, you know, if if you're their friend and you screw up, you you'll be all right. We'll smack you on the wrist and and go on about your business. But you know, if you're not in the clique and you make a mistake, that they, they're gonna they're gonna put your ass on a platter.
0: That good old boy system,
1: <clears throat> right? And uh, there's a lot of that that goes on here in South Carolina, man. But um, like I say, long story short, call them um, up, get all that set up. They came like the next week they was there maybe four hours and they can knock on my office door. Guy walks in the agent walks in and he's like, Hey, we got a problem. I was like, no shit. <laughs> um, and he was like, well, on top of your evidence room being a mess, he was like, uh, you know, during the audit, we found a bag open. The bag says, you know, um, I can't remember the exact figure, but I'm gonna say it was somewhere around like $1,500. So I'm So going to use that. He's like the evidence bag says, is supposed to be in here. Um, there's $1,200 missing. And the, the evidence bag with the money in it was from 1994, (laughs) almost 20 years old, almost 20 years old. Right. And, um, so basically what they come to the determination was, is over, over the years, nobody came ever who it belonged to when they confiscated it. Um, obviously never came and showed proof that the money belonged to them or it was obtained legally. And so instead of going through the proper channels, through the, uh, through the uh, district attorney's office and, you know, claiming the property, filling out the paperwork, they just decided to open the bag up and take the shit.
0: So we need need lunch today.
1: (laughs) Right. You know, and, and so that's kind of like what I was dealing with and, um, you know, I'm working on my own podcast as well, and I I have pictures, um, and I can send them, and you can put them up. You
0: yeah, know, I, think you I, I, I think I, I think I, it's on YouTube and stuff, right?
1: Uh not the pictures. The where,
0: some of the pictures are on my TikTok channel. That's but, probably uh, like where, said, that's got, probably where I saw the pictures at.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I can send you the pictures, man, so you can have them. You can put them up with this audio. But I have pictures of the evidence room, and there's literally bags of cocaine that are open cocaine powder is scattered on the shelf there's no case number there's no um i don't know what you guys use. here we have what's called a best pack um you basically put any kind of what you you know drugs pills anything that's a narcotic you put it in what's called a best pack you send it to sled and they test it and then they send your analysis back to you
0: kind of like how, how, no how we we bag it up and uh we I fill out a form and it gets sent to Louisiana State Police Crime Lab here, and you know I don't like I don't know I turn it into the evidence guy. After that, right, the only yeah, thing but, I'll get is I'll get a thing back saying it was yeah or nay. But other than that, I just we have evidence both places I've worked at have always we've always had evidence from mm-hmm, clerks. So mm-hmm. once we we had like um uh, they still do it's like the old outside post off boxes, mm-hmm. and we have evidence you know. Especially if like, you know, you work at nights, you just put your evidence in there. And uh you slide it in and the next day the evidence person comes and they take all the evidence out. But other than that, we're yep. we're done with it. Yeah, pretty much well, my you
1: know, the agency that I worked for that was accredited. That's how it was there. But you still had to fill out on the best pack. And mm-hmm. you know, you uh you had like a uh a bag number on the best pack that would go in your report. Yeah. Um you know, you had to weigh it, everything goes on the front, yada, 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 uh, basically the same thing. Um, where was that? Okay. Um, so once I find out, yeah, once, you know, there's, 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 there's a bag, uh, it's, it's probably like 20 grams, you know, <laughs> and it's just open and it's scattered. There's no case number. There's no best pack number. There's no suspect name. It's like, uh if you and I wanted to go have a party in the seventies, I'd be like, hey, let me grab this evidence key. We're set, you know. Um nope, no paper trail, no, you know, nothing. Nothing to log this in. There's also bags of marijuana, the same way. Weed just laying on the shelf, no case number, no bag number, nothing. Um so basically it was a it was a it was a hot ass mess. And <laughs> Right. Yeah. So I I asked the guy, the agent, I'm not going to mention his name. He knows who he is. Um, I told him, I was like, man, you know, I come from, you know, city of Florence and I said, are you familiar with their evidence room? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think it would be a good idea to just get with the um, solicitor's office? And I'm pretty sure some of these bags have like 91, 98, uh, 2002. The ones that do have paperwork with it, I'm I'm almost a hundred percent certain that there we don't have any pending cases. So, I said, you think it'd be a good idea to check with the solicitor's office and clear all this shit and just get it destroyed. And I said, you know, I'll go to Walmart myself and I'll buy the bins, um, you know, and and set up, you know, like the shelves. There was three shelves: mm-hmm. sh- shelf A, shelf B, shelf C you know, kind of measure out the Tupperware container and have like 1 through 12. So if you logged in evidence, you know, you could say I put it in container A3, and then if you had to pull it for your case, you know, me being the chief and the evidence clerk, you know, officer comes bringing his paperwork, okay, I put it in A3, I can go right to it, organize. He's like, well, uh, each department in the state of South Carolina are responsible for their own evidence handling, so we can't really tell you exactly what to do with it but it probably would be a good idea to organize it. so basically that was his cop-out way of saying like yeah this shit's messed up and you probably need to organize it but i'm not going to tell you that because i'm covering my ass yeah yeah you know so and, and he you know i told him i was like look man i i said i'm gonna be honest with you um i know how to log evidence in but as far as the i told him i was 100 percent honest with him i said man i'm kind of in over my head i have no idea how to destroy this shit i said i know at florence um they would go out in the woods where shooting range was at and they had like a 150 gallon d drum barrel and they would incinerate this shit on you know like every six months and um I I don't have access, you know, to an area where I can do that. And I told him, I was like, but I said, you know, I got pharmaceutical diversion training on how to handle dosage units of pills, uh, prescription cough medicines, things like that. I know how to destroy that stuff. And the personal belongings, once it's cleared, I can, you know, I can either throw them in the trash or, or whatever. He was like, you just, you know, whatever's convenient for you is what is what he told me, So yeah, He
0: was just giving you a cop-out answer. He didn't want to.
1: Exactly. Say, well, he didn't want to lock.
0: Well, he told me yeah. I could do such and such. Right.
1: Search. Exactly, so He he wasn't going to lock in to offering me any help in the event something did go wrong. And I say, well, you know, I thought agent, whatever. I mean, I, I knew that. I picked up on that quickly. And so, obviously, I called, you know, uh, my old lieutenant. Uh, well he was a lieutenant then he was my sergeant but and so um, excuse me and so he and I, you know, had several conversations about what, you know, I needed to do. And so basically what we came up with was I had to go um item by item and I separated things that were bagged correctly, I put in one pile, things that had, you know, no paperwork. I put in another pile, and the things that were not logged in correctly, um, I basically ordered a case, uh, a whole case of evidence forms. And I went in and did, I got new case numbers and, and did supplemental reports, you know, and basically had to create my own evidence law. And so it was a long, it was a long I, I spent most of my days from that point on organizing this evidence room. And while I was doing that, obviously I didn't want new stuff coming in and out. So I adopted the system that I had at my previous department, which was, um, like you was talking about, like at nighttime, if I also need to log in something, you had an, it was an electronic alarm code. There was an alarm on the door. You had Mm -hmm. to punch the code in, you open the door up and basically they had, um, like high school gym lockers, if that makes sense. Yeah. And inside those lockers would be a, um, you know, like a master lock. You would put your evidence in there, your evidentiary forms, make sure everything is in the locker, and then you would close the locker, put the lock on it, and the only person that had it, well, let me rephrase that, the only person who was supposed to have a key to that master lock was your evidence, you know, personnel. Well, I had a guy working for me whose dad worked for that department um, for years. And he worked for the water department in this town for like 10 years. And then he became a law enforcement officer. So I knew I found this out later on. He felt like he should have been offered that job because of his deep ties to this town. And I didn't have anything to do with that, but. You know, when he came and asked me for a job, he had his. I know now his sole intentions was: this motherfucker's got my job.
0: He wanted you gone,
1: right? And so, uh, you know, I'm talking about this man sat in my office and and wrote a letter thanking me for giving him an opportunity to to get back in law enforcement. Um, he was so good that he even cried in my office because he said he was so happy someone gave him an opportunity to get back in law enforcement. Right, and, and when I... Well, Academy Award Well, when, Right, you know, and, and you know, uh, when I went to hire him, I had people tell me, you know, basically he was a piece of shit. Uh, he had worked for like seven different departments in six years. Um. He's what we call a journeyman, right? <laughs> but man, look, I'm a laid back guy. Um, I've made mistakes in my life. He's got, he had two kids and a wife, and I believe, you know, he had at this point in time, he had done, he did nothing to me, mm-hmm. and so, so I didn't, you know, I knew what everybody was telling me. Um, I obviously saw from when I run his uh, information through the academy. You know, I obviously got back his information for all the departments that he worked for and why he was dismissed. But I didn't hold that against him because, like I said, at this point in time, he, you know, um, people change, man, you know?
0: That's true, I mean.
1: And and so I I decided to give him another chance, not knowing what I know now, but, um, you know, I, I hired him. And long story short, the locks that I used on the temporary evidence lockers I got out of our front office where the bookkeepers and stuff worked out the town. And at the time, I didn't know that the locks that I used, that this officer that I was just speaking about, showed me where they were at. They were old water department locks. Mm, they so there's more than one than key out there. <laughs> there you go. See, I didn't even have to tell you the rest of the story. You already (laughs) answered. And I didn't know that. And I also didn't know that he had a... The way our offices were set up, when you walked inside of town hall, there were three doors on your left. Obviously, the first door was the mayor. Um, Pretty good-sized office. My office was in the middle. And then on the other side of my door was the judge's office. And all three of those offices... My, my office, when you walked in, it had a door on both walls. One went to the judge, one went to the mayor. And so the same guy had a key to the mayor's office. So when you go inside the mayor's office, you can walk right into my office. And I didn't know that either. No, he had a key to the mayor's office.
0: And um, Why would the ex-water guy have a key to the
1: Well, it's, it's, it's kind of like one of those deals where it's a small town. Everybody knows everybody. Um, like I told you, his father used to work, you know, as a patrol officer for the town and, um, somehow or another, he was related to the mayor, like second cousin or something like that. Mm. So, um, you know, without, without going into a whole year and a half worth of drama and, and, uh, town people problems long story short we had one of one of the ladies that worked in the one of the one of the ladies that worked in the um the town hall office passed away and um i got called at like two o'clock in the morning uh my officer that was working on night shift called me and he was like hey miss such and such passed away and the mayor showed. You know, the mayor showed up to her house. The officer was there. Her husband was there. The lady's husband was also on the town council. So, you know, when he called me, obviously this is you know townspeople stuff. So I told him, I said, Man, I'll be, I'll be right there. I felt it was necessary for me to show up, also, not because the officer that was working couldn't do his job, but just because you know, like I said, the mayor was there. Yeah, the like, it was like town council.
0: One of the, yeah, times. it was.
1: Yeah, it was kind of one of those deals where I felt like I needed to be there. And uh, so I got there, you know, she was she, she was deceased. Um, EMS was on scene. My officer was on scene. Um, and basically what happened was they rounded up her medication. And again, he threw him in a bag, tightened up a report. And he didn't even he didn't do it. He didn't do an evidence collection report to be marked for destruction. He just threw everything in the bag, didn't put the case number on it, anything. But he did, He typed, the way he did it was he just, basically in his report, you know, I showed up, natural cause death, yada, yada, yada. Um, you said her yeah,
0: husband I, was there?
1: Yeah, yeah, well, her husband was there.
0: So why take her medication?
1: Uh, well, in South Carolina, it, most places have a policy that if there's narcotics on the scene, and they're prescribed to the person that's, you know, deceased, they, you know, they take possession of marking for destruction.
0: Okay, that's what I don't think, I don't believe we have that here. I've never, I've been to a lot of death, you know, hospice patients and all that stuff, and they have, I mean, that's their medication. Well, most, we, the family or the, whatever, hospice nurse or whoever else, somebody else will destroy it. My, right. my, my father uh, passed away coming up by about two years or so, and, uh, even when my mom died of cancer, I mean, we had morphine, and I mean, we had a lot of you know scheduled narcotics in the house. And, oh
1: yeah. Well, I, I'm not saying that's the law here. I'm just saying, like, in the department that I came from.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, I was just wondering you know, if it was something it, different. I
1: just yeah. no. Nah, I don't think it's. I you know, to, like I said, to be honest with you, I, I'm not. I'm not going to say that's that's a South Carolina law. It was more or less like policy from where I came from. Yeah, okay, I got you. And, and and if we didn't take possession of them, most of the time, the corner that showed up, you know, he would say, like, uh, you know, just if you don't mind, go ahead and destroy these or whatever. So we would have to take it. Basically, just like we arrested somebody, you'd go through the same process, you know, except for you, you know, you didn't do the whole best pack and all that. You yeah. just logged them in. You filled out an evidence form, logged him into the evidence room, just marked for destroy. Yeah, I got you. Right, so this officer didn't do that. He just puts in his report. Um, you know, I took possession of a bottle of I can't remember. what, I think it was like Tylenol threes or something, or it, it might have even been like a lower set. Or so I can't remember what it was. Anyway, it was a pain field. Just put it like that. And so he instead of doing a you know an evidence form and checking the box you know marked for destruction he just puts it in the report throws it in the bag and it puts a copy of the report staples it to the bag throws it in the temporary evidence locker and it comes up you know uh the next day me and my wife's getting ready to go out of town and so uh i think that happened on like a thursday night and we were leaving saturday morning and I can't remember what happened. Anyway, I ended up being at the office at like ten o'clock Friday night, trying to get everything called up before I left. And so I, I look at his report, and I see you know he it said you know he didn't put anything in his report about filling out an evidence form. And like I um before you know we started your podcast, I was telling you, um when I when I came from Florence City at the end of every shift, uh, you would meet with your corporal. And you would basically give him your report log for the night and hand him your uh, your MDT. And you know, he would sit there and basically go through, check for errors, um, you know, all that clerical shit that you got to do. And if, you know, like let's you and I work together, right? You hand me your 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 laptop and I'm checking your report and I make a correction and you say while I was on scene, you know, this, this, and this, and it should say something else, you know, while I'm checking your report, I would just go ahead and change that, right? right, This officer, yada, yada, yada. All right, so that's what I did for him, you know, I'm checking his report and he's just like, I mean, it was, I hate to talk shit about one of the people that used to work for me, man, but it was almost like a six-year-old wrote this damn report.
0: I've seen some yeah. Like
1: yeah, I mean it was awful man. It was like uh this officer responded to above-stated stated now S A I D E D. This officer responded to above-stated location um miss whatever was dead, not deceased dead. She was dead. EMS showed up or
0: unresponsive um, or something.
1: Right. Yeah, the EMS showed up. Uh, you know, said death by natural causes. Uh, she had on her person. She didn't have it on her person because she's fucking dead. Uh, she had on her person, you know, one bottle of Laura said one bottle of muscle relaxes or whatever the fuck, you know. And um, and then he just goes, "I took possession, put them in evidence bag. No information available. No further information available." So basically I had to rewrite his whole report. You know, I'm like, man, you can't I just can't turn this shit in, man. It's like you wrote this in Crayon. <laughs> and so I, I corrected his report for him. And now mind you, each time I correct the report, I print out, I print out the report with the corrections on it, and I put it in their box with their name on it. And so I did his evidence for him, for him. um, you know, I corrected the report, I put, you know, this officer responded, yada yada yada. This officer took possession of, you know, this this this. This officer also completed the evidence form, da 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 da. da. Made a copy. I took the copy of the evidence form, copied the report, stapled them together, dropped the evidence in the temporary locker, put the corrected report in his box, and then I hauled ass. Well like eight months go by <laughs> right I mean I'm talking like this shit was weird cause I think she died right around Memorial Day and the thing that happened to me when I got arrested was in maybe like September April, May June, July August yeah almost six months and you know I'm, I'm on my way to work one Friday morning and it's like 7.15 I don't get a call from the mayor. A fucking news reporter calls me, our local news reporter. And she goes, Is this uh is this Jason Johnson?" Yeah, this is the Hey, this is and I can say her name. She said, Hey, this is Tanya Brown from Channel 15 News. I said, Oh yeah, hey Tanya, how you doing? She said, I'm doing good. Uh can you tell me why you're on suspension? And I said, On suspension? I said, Shit, I ain't on suspension, I'm on I'm on my way to work. And she, and she was like, well, I got a call 30 minutes ago saying that you were on suspicion because some some issues with some evidence. And I told her, I said, well, El, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I told her, I said, I just, I just left my house like 10 minutes ago. And I'm like 10, 15 minutes from the police department. So she was like, well, how about when you get it figured out, give me a call back. And I was like, all right. So. Now my mind's wondering, like, why the fuck is the news people calling me, asking me at my own fucking suspension? That makes no sense (laughs) at all. What do
0: they know? I don't
1: know. Right, you know, and and so when I get to the police department, there's two agents sitting there from SLED, and sitting across from them is old boy that was just in my office like eight months ago crying and begging me for a job. And so I asked him, I said, I walked in, I said, uh And it just happened to be the same two agents that come and did my audit, right? Mm. So, you know, I had gotten to know them a little bit because obviously they did an investigation as to why money was missing. And that lasted like two or three months. And so I got to know them a little bit. And so I walk in, I'm and like I said, i not going to mention their names, but I was like, hey, agent such and such, you know, hey, I'll just call them Agent Bob and Agent Rob. I was like, hey, Agent Bob, Agent Rob, hey, how you guys doing, man? What's, what's going on? You need to go talk to the mayor. And I looked at him and I said, well, Agent Bob, what, are you, <laughs> what the fuck is going on, man? Like, Why do I need to go talk to the mayor? Why is the news people calling me and telling me I'm on suspension? And he goes, a news reporter called you? I said, yeah. Tanya Brown called me like 15 minutes ago, wanting to know why I'm on suspension about something from this, you know, to do with evidence. And he said, the only thing I can tell you is you need to go talk to the mayor. And I was like, "Well, why?" And he, and so he, then he gets really upset with me. You know, he's like, "I told you to get the fuck out of here and go talk to the mayor." And I'm like, "Okay." Uh, so I walk outside. I call, call the mayor, and I was like, "Hey man, what, what the fuck is going on?" <sighs> yeah, I meant to call you. You fucking think like I mean, like I got, I got two sled agents in here, telling, kicking me out. You know, and then I got a news reporter calling and telling me I'm on suspension. Like, I was like, "What the hell's going on?" He's like, "I'm on the way. Just hang out." He's like, "Don't go back inside. Just hang out outside the department." When I get there, we'll go in my office and talk. So I'm like, "All right, cool." Well, if you remember earlier, I told you the same guy that was in there crying is like the mayor's second cousin or something like that. Mm-hmm. So he gets there, we go into the mayor's office and he's telling me like, uh, you remember when Miss such and such died? I said, yeah, I said, right there around Memorial day. He goes, yeah. And he goes, uh, you remember when officer, whatever, you know, did a report. And I said, yeah, I said, yeah, he did a shitty report. I said, I had to correct it. I said, I filled out the evidence for him and all that. That's why I don't understand what's going on. And he says, uh, well, those was, uh, those pain pills that you guys collected, they're they're not in the the bag. And I asked him, I said, well, my first question is, is how the hell do you know they're not in the bag because they're supposed to be locked up in the temporary evidence room and nobody's supposed to be in there but me? So how would you know that they're missing? The same guy (laughs) that I was sitting across from the sled agents, he said he called him and told him that they were missing. And I asked him, I said, well, again, you know, my first question
0: is. How does he know anything's missing? How didn't get in there? Right. <laughs> exactly. How the hell
1: does he know that anything's missing because he's not supposed to be in there? And I said, even if he was in there with the temporary lockers, the only way, you know, I told him, I said, I put those on the top shelf. Like the only way to know anything was missing out that bag was if you physically opened that door and pulled the bag out so again how does he know that something is missing and so he he never did explain to me how or why he was in there or how he knew these pills were missing out of his evidence bag but when he's get, as he's getting ready to explain this to me this same officer just opens the door while you know, my boss and I are having a conversation about what's going on in my department and he comes in and just helps himself to the chair right beside of me. And when he sits down, he looks at me and goes, I need your gun and badge chief. And I said, uh, (laughs) I said, I can't, you know, I honestly, I can't remember what I said, but I, I didn't give it to him because I told him I was like, man, who the fuck are you? Like, nah, you, I,
0: was, I, was, you, I know what I would have said. Too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, and, and I and I asked him, and I was like, dude, I said, you I said, I'm talking to my boss. The last time I checked, I'm the chief, and you're a, a patrol officer. Like, you have no tenure here. You're one of the last. You're the last person that I brought on board. You, you know, like you have the least amount of time here um i'm not giving you shit. you know what i'm saying like and, and furthermore why are you asking for my gun and my badge when it's it's? if anybody should be asking me for this it should be you know rent. well i won't say the name the mayor should be asking me you know and so he made a big deal out of it man so i finally just said i was like "Fuck it i said you're not getting my gun because it belongs to me but i was like hell if you if you want this badge is cheap on it so man, here you go And so when I gave it to him, you know, he just, he turns around, he walks out and they basically made me go home, man. Like, I I mean, I had, I spent so much time over there. I had a futon bed in my office. Um, I had my personal computer there. Cause like I said, I had a paving business going. So like basically, I, I mean, I would spend 16 to 18 hours a day in that office. And so I asked them, I was like, can I get my computer stuff? No, you can't. They told me, they said, you can't touch anything. It's a uh, until we figure out what's going on, your office is to be locked up. And they took crime scene tape now uh, and put it across my door. They said my office was a uh, active crime scene. All right, so the next the the very next morning now uh, at eight o'clock, the officer that worked for me, that was my sergeant. Whom I trusted very much. He was like, he calls me. No, it was before that because of 6 to 6 shifts. So he calls me at like 15 after 6. And he was like, Chief, uh, I need you. I need to talk to you. He was like, But I, I don't know if I'm supposed to say anything. He was like, But I just saw something that that troubled me. And I was like, Well, what is it? And uh, he was like, You know, I heard him say yesterday that your office was supposed to be an active crime scene but um the guy you know that that cried in my office he was he was like when i came in the clock out and and dropped my reports off he was like your door was open and he was in there going through your filing cabinets pulling paperwork and i said well, what kind of paperwork was he pulling? and he said i don't know but i took a picture of it and he was like, you can't really see the paperwork in the picture but i got a picture of them in your office and I was like, all right, cool, you know. And uh, I told him, I said, well, just make sure you save that. Don't delete it. Because I said, hell, the way it's looking, I'm probably going to need that later. And he was like, well, I ain't just get a picture. He was like, I got a little bit of video, too. And I was like, shit, that's even better. And uh, so, long story short, man, like I said, this we could turn this into a four-hour episode. But long story short, it drags on for like six months. I get called in and I get interrogated by sled the same agents that did my audit and they told me that those 15 pain pills that that they got from the from the lady that died were were gone and they said that the guy you know that i hired it was in my office crying he found them wrote a letter to sleds you know saying that uh basically i lied on i changed the report you know to reflect they're saying that I took the pills out of the report, but they was on the evidence sheet, right? Yeah. Conveniently enough, the evidence sheet is now missing. Hmm. All my evidence paperwork, all the copies of the evidence paperwork was in my filing cabinet where I got a picture of him in my file. where the guy got a picture of him. And, and And, you know, so they started interrogating me about it. And uh, I told him, I said, man, I I mean, like, I I don't have any answers for you because the last time I saw those pills, they were in that bag. And I told him, I said, matter of fact, I said, ever who went in that locker and found out they were missing, I said, if you would look in the supplemental report, you would see that I, I did take those pills out the bag and I put them in the main evidence locker in the destruction pile. So they should be in there. Well, they wasn't in there either because the key, the skeleton key that was used for the jail cell door, it was now missing. (laughs) Nobody knew where the nobody knew where the key was at. So, long story short, man, my interrogation lasted about five hours, and they kept asking me, like, did I did I steal these pills? Did I take them? Did I sell? I'm like, did I sell? You know, I was like. I said, I don't know if you guys know this or not, man. I said, but I'm not bragging by no means. I said, but I have a small paving company that does commercial parking lots. I said, man, I average right at $300,000 a year gross. And I'm making $55,000 a year doing this job. And you're telling me that I risked my whole career over 15 fucking lower set fives or whatever they were. And and he was like, well, I don't know. You tell me. And uh, I was like, look, man, because I had already talked. I, I had al- at this point, I had already got a lawyer. Log- I, I seen where it was going. I went ahead and got a lawyer. And and she told me, she, I told her, I said, look, I don't, I don't have anything to hide. And she was like, well, I can go with you to your interrogation. She was like, but if you don't have anything to hide, I mean, just go over there, cooperate, and you know, if they start talking crazy, then just shut it down. She was like, hell, you've been doing this, you know, 14 years. Just, you know what to do. And so that's, that's basically what happened, man. You know, I agreed to, uh, I agreed to take a polygraph test. I uh, I, I asked them, did they want me to go take a drug test? No. Uh, I said, like, you want me to take a polygraph test? No. Uh, would we you just want to know what you,
0: you would think <laughs> that as investigators the first when somebody volunteers, to Take a polygraph, even though a lot of times it's not, not it, admissible to go jump all over right. that shit,
1: exactly. And like I said, I offered to do a polygraph test, I offered to do a drug test. Um, you know, they, they was like, nah, you know, and and so then what made it even worse was the guy, he was like, Well, if you didn't, uh, if you didn't sell them, just tell us that you took them. Did you take them orally or what? I said, But man, like, I don't, like, what part what part of I took these pills and put them in a destruction bin in the main evidence room. Are you not understanding? Like, I mean, I told him, I said, I did a supplemental report. Everything I touched was documented. And he goes, well, it just don't make no sense to me, chief. He said, "If uh," you know, he said, you just admitted to us earlier that when you took this job as chief of police, that, you had absolutely no experience no administrative experience what so why would you do that and put them in the destruction pile when you don't know what you're doing and i asked him i said well i said well i have a question for you i said you know you're you're an investigative agent for SLED," and he goes right and i said you went to training for that right and he goes of course and i said well I said, have you ever been to pharmaceutical diversion training where they teach you about handling these things, the destruction of them, how to pick up on prescription fraud? No. I said, well, I've been to it five times. I said, have you ever been to drug interdiction training? No. I'm an investigator. I don't do interdiction. I said, okay. I said, so basically what it sounds like to me is I'm the most qualified motherfucker in this room to handle and destroy drugs. And he, and they got mad as hell, man. And so when they they started talking, he was like, uh, "You know what?" He was like, uh, "Fuck it. it! Just we're going to end this right now." And he said, "We're just going to go ahead and charge you and send your ass to prison." I said, "Well, that's fine." I said, "I'm done. I don't have anything else to say. I've I've offered polygraph. I've offered a drug test. Um, I've written my statement. You know, you keep asking me the same questions over and over again." You have my statement, you know, I've I've offered to do all these things. And now you're saying you just you don't want to hear nothing else. You're just going to send me to prison. I said, so I think now is the time to just let you know that, you know, I'm here on my own free will. But I do have legal representation. And from this point on, you need to contact her because I'm done talking to y'all. And so, so then he was like, well, uh, well, innocent people don't need attorneys. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta. And I told him, I said, why are you still trying to ask me questions when I just told you I'm done talking to you and, and everything else from this point on needs to go through my attorney. And he goes, well, fine, you're free to go right now until we send you to prison. And I was like, all right, that's fine. So I started getting my shit to walk out. And then the guy grabs me by the arm. And he was like, before you go, our lieutenant wants to talk to you. And I told him, I said, Now I don't have anything else to say. I said, well, just sit down and listen. So I go in the lieutenant's office at the sled office. And he starts the same shit, man. He was like, uh, you know, he read my statement. He starts asking me questions, same, same questions. And I give him the same answers. And then he told me. He
0: said, uh, First of all, he shouldn't have been asking no more because you said
1: attorney. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they're violating
0: and, your constitutional rights.
1: Yeah. And, and and you know. And when i brought that up, he was like, you know, I signed the you know the what is it the Brady form
0: when you." Yeah, but and, it should stay on there that you can stop answering that question. At right? A time, yeah. You know, <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. So he was like, "Well, you signed your, you know, your Brady right or whatever." I can't remember. If that's what it is, or not. But I think it is. And He was like, "Uh," and I told him, "I was like, well, like I said, man, you need this. You need to talk to my attorney. I don't have anything else to say. I'm gonna answer your questions." I'm not, so basically, I just sit there for like twenty minutes with my arms crossed. I kind of laid back in my chair and let my head rest against the wall because this motherfucker was talking. 150 miles an hour and he was just telling me how you know um my career was over uh he called me an addict he called me i mean just like they went from asking me questions to basically degrading me in the office and so while i'm sitting there with my arms crossed and my head leaned back on the wall when he finally quit talking i raised my head up and i said uh, I said, are you finished, and he was like, "Yeah." I was like, "All right," because I'm finna go. And he was like, "Look at you." He's like, "You you're on some shit right now." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was like, "All right, LT, I'll see you later." Uh, I like, "Like I said, man, my, I gave him my lawyer's number, which they knew they knew who she was, man. She's she's a great attorney, and I I dealt with her a lot through cases and stuff, and um. You know, I left their their building and drove straight to her office because she knew I was there that morning. She was waiting on me. And so when I get to my attorney's office, (laughs) I I wasn't there two minutes, and her phone rang, and it was the same lieutenant from SLED. He called my attorney, and he was like, I just want to tell you what a piece of shit that you're representing. You know, he come in here, yada, yada, yada. He's uh, high on, you know, whatever And she was like, well, that's, she was like, that's kind of funny. And he was like, well, I don't see anything funny about that. And she said, well, I find it funny because he's sitting right beside of me right now. And he looks completely fine to me.
0: Well, and so they they say you were high, but they let you drive off.
1: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And so it, it was a big shit show, man. Like I, you know, I, I was in the news, um, you know, went through all this shit. And one of the things I told them, and that's why I told you, I'll send you the pictures so your listeners can, um, you know, see when if they watch it, you know, they can see these pictures. One of the things I asked them was, I said, I said, you know, you, know, you guys have asked me questions, same questions for six hours. Can I just ask you guys one question? And that's said, I just, can you give me the opportunity to ask you one question? And they told me, it was like, yeah, what is it? And I said, you know, both of you guys come and done my audit, evidence room, right? And he was like, yeah. And I said, why? No one law track. I mean, I, I've used this same program for almost 14 years to enter my reports. Every time you go in, especially as an administrator, and make changes to these reports. The time that you did it is on there. Your badge number is on there. Your name is on there. There's a time stamp every time you click one of those buttons to make an edit to that report. And I told him, I said, you know, I have an evidence room full of pills. I have an evidence room full of cocaine. I have an evidence room full of marijuana that has absolutely zero trace. There's no case numbers, there's no suspects, there's no nothing. And I have the key to this evidence, well, I had the key to this evidence room. Why would I take, like, these five or six pills from this lady that died when I could just walk in this evidence room and have one of the greatest parties on the weekends known to man? And they just looked at me like they never never would answer that. And so long story short, it, it drug on like six months. They charged me. Uh, the thing about the file of the false police report came from doing clerical corrections on that report, which was part of my job. So they, they charged me with that as far you know, falsifying police report. Uh, they charged me with the theft of a controlled substance. And then they broke it down every how many... P- and this is what tripped me out. They said there was no evidentiary paperwork, right? But they charged me each count for each pill that was supposed to have been in that bottle. And I asked, and then my lawyer even asked him that. So he was like, well, if there's no evidentiary paperwork, how did you know how many pills were in there?
0: They charged you with like 15 <laughs> counts?
1: 15 counts. And then they charged me with misconduct in office. The felony one, There's a there's a state one that's like a, a misdemeanor. And then there's a felony one that carries like 10 years. And that's the one they charged me with. Mm-hmm. Well. But at, at one point in time, at one point in time, they told me that if I would just give up my certification, they would be satisfied with that. Basically all they wanted me to do was, you know, and, there, and there's a lot of things that happened in between this incident that I felt led up to this. But um, it, it was basically a shit show. I know my lawyer told me. She said, you know, she was a, um, she was a a Texas state prosecutor for twelve years, and then she became a defense attorney, and she had done that for ten years. And she told me in twenty. She said in twenty two years, she said I've represented a lot of law enforcement officers, and I've represented a lot of criminals. And she said in twenty two years, I have never. Never seen such bullshit as this right.
0: Well, as y'all can but, assume he didn't you, you, you went to trial, right?
1: Yeah, I went to trial. Um their case basically nobody in the local uh listeners office wanted would try my case. So what ended up happening is um going back to sled, they worked directly their boss are the state legislators. They work directly under the politicians. So the only people that can check them are the people they work for, which is like the attorney general's office, things like that. So two different two different um district solicitor's office, I think it was district four and district uh, might have been six or eight or something like that. Anyway, it was two different counties out of thirteen possible solicitors, none of them would try my case. So they ended up talking the attorney general's office and and prosecuting me. And they told him that they had a slam dunk case. And so this guy from the attorney general's office shows up. And as I'm assuming, like maybe he looked over it and just kind of saw what they wrote in the right to whip to get my, to secure my warrants. But as they put their first witness on the stand, he's the, the guy that wrote the letter to Sled, that I told you cried in my office. Mm-hmm. Their their first witness got on the stand and 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 told that he saw him in the evidence room with a with a he took a coat hanger apart and was poking it through the holes in the top of the locker, dragging the bag toward the front of the door to the locker. And, and so it's, it starts unfolding really quickly, and my, you know, I went through all that. Uh, I went through all that media. My name drugged through the mud. Um, my trial lasted. It took the judge longer to read all my charges than my trial lasted.
0: <laughs> you had a judge trial they, or they, a jury trial?
1: Yeah, I had a jury trial. But um, after the after the state put their third witness on the stand the um prosecutor from attorney general's office asked the judge for a recess. Um him, my attorney, and a judge went back in the chambers, they came back out and dropped my charges.
0: So They ended up dropping it before everyone went to the jury, then.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah. They when they came back from that meeting, they dismissed the jury and, and then they just dropped my charges. And then my record got expunged and but it cost me almost $90,000. So that's what, you know, um, on my TikTok videos, you'll see a lot of people comment like, well, you know, if you were innocent, you know, why did you lose your certification? And the reason I lost my certification was because by the time all this drug out for almost two years, it cost me almost $90,000 in legal fees. And initially when I got arrested, the, uh, the academy suspended my certification pending the outcome of my trial. Well, here when they suspend your um, certification, it goes through a reinstatement process, like an appeal process. Well, the head of that committee is the chief of sled, right? Mm. So the same, yeah. so the same, right? The same agency that charged me the chief of that agency was on the appeal panel for me to get my certification back. And by the time I spent $90,000, you know, um, you know, my lawyer asked me, she was like, do you, I mean, do you want to get back in law enforcement? And I told her, I said, well, you know, is it, she said it could last a day. And she said, if they want to, they can drag, they got up to three months. They can drag this out for three more months. She's like, so it's, you know, she's like, I, obviously I'll do it, but I mean, it's it's a matter of, you know, and, and, and by this point, you know, my wife told me, she was like, look, if you go back to law enforcement, you, you're on your own. You done seen how quick they turned on you. You seen what kind of bullshit they drove you through. If you want to go back to that, then you're going to do it by yourself. She's like, I'm not going because my wife's a nurse practitioner. And I mean, they went as far embarrassing me and sending the DEA to her job and pulling all her prescriptions because they accused her of sliding me prescriptions and I wasn't even a patient. Wow, who? So they embarrassed her.
0: Oh yeah, like just trying to destroy yeah. the whole family,
1: right? And and so you know, with with that being said, you know, she was like, "Look, they drug me into this shit." Um, you know, they. You know, My lawyer, man, tore the the three witnesses that they did put on the stand. Like, my lawyer fucked them up on the stand. Like, she caught them in so many lies. Like, I don't understand how they didn't get charged for perjury because, first of all, the agent that was in charge, by the time my trial came around, he wasn't even a fucking sled agent anymore. He was working for the hospital doing security. (laughs) And he didn't even show up to testify against me. And he was the lead agent on my case. Wow. And the secondary agent that showed up when he was on the stand, um, my lawyer asked him about interrogating me for, for almost six hours. And he said, well, whatever's on that paper is how long your client was there. He's like, what i'm looking at it says he was there an hour and a half and she, so she asked him she said well where where's the audio and video recording of the interrogation and he said we didn't we don't have one and she said well i mean don't you know you have the head of a department that you're accusing of stealing evidence and you mean to tell me that you got his written statement, but you didn't audio or video record the interrogation. And and he said, no. And she said, so there's no way to prove. She's like, you know, you already lied about this. So we're supposed to just take your word, you know, that he was only there for an hour and a half. <laughs> and he was like, well, like I said, whatever's on the paper. And then she goes, so you're telling me at no point in time, did you and my client, walk out of the interrogation room and then you guys made him go in your Lieutenant's office to continue the interrogation. Well, I mean, he did go into the Lieutenant's office, but I mean, she's like, exactly. (laughs) You know, and, and then, uh, and then she said, you know, well, you know, what made you even charge my client? And, and I swear to God, man, this man said we had just moved into the building And the and and the air conditioning and stuff hadn't been hooked up correctly. He said, so it was a little warm in the interrogation room, but your client was sweating profusely every time he answered a question. And she was like, "Are you? You know what I'm saying? It's like she just gave me that look. Like, are you fucking serious?" And um, it it was a shit show, man. And then after my trial was over with, me, my wife, my mom, and I can't remember who else it was. But anyway, we walked across the street to, to a restaurant to eat. And while we were in there eating, I'm not going to say his name either, but while we were in there eating, the judge that presided over my case walked in to pick his food up. And he was like, he's like, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. He was like, I, I'm glad, you know, you, ag- you know, you agreed to just go ahead and let him drop the charges. He was like, because if that thing would have went to the jury, he said, "I would have invoked the 13th jury." He was like, "I have never, in in 36 years of sitting on the bench, has I seen a shit show like that." And so it was just, it was a, uh, it was crazy, man. It was one of the
0: well, who got appointed re- chief in your
1: old spot. Um, well, it wasn't, conveniently wasn't a crying convenient. guy was. No, conveniently enough, the sh- you know, the sheriff and I had a, a pretty decent relationship, even after I stuck my foot in my mouth, you know, when I first met him. But we became, I ain't going to say friends, but we had a very good working relationship. And so um, he appointed, uh, I think it was his, might have been, I don't want to say it was his chief deputy, but I, it's... It, One of his like second or third in command, he sent him over there to take, to to fill in as interim chief. And now I don't know this to be fact, but I had at least eight people tell me one of the first things he did when he came in as interim chief was he popped a random drug test on everybody, right?
0: Guess he failed.
1: Right. So, oh, cry, (laughs) oh, cry baby ass. He, he, his dumb ass, listen to this shit now. His dumb ass went reported to the workers' comp or to what is it called? When you uh, not workers comp, it's um uh, you know, when you go to like the work doctor or whatever.
0: Yeah, disability or
1: something. Um <clears throat> no, you know, like where you report to like if your department told you to go take a random drug test. You no go yeah,
0: like, yeah.
1: yeah, so he goes like this stupid son of a bitch reported, took the test. Right, and failed it. But he showed up the next day before the results came back and told him he was like, Well, I'm gonna quit. I'm gonna resign. I don't wanna take the drug test. Amen. And so the interim well the, the interim chief told him he was like, Well, listen, I sent you over there and you went in the capacity of an employee of this department. So whether you resign or quit, whatever those results show. Is going to go on your permanent work record because you didn't resign and then go take the test. You, I, I sent you over there. You went. You took it. So you know whatever those results show, you're stuck with it. Mm. And just and just so happens that motherfucker tested positive for hydrocodone, cocaine, and marijuana. Believe that shit.
0: He must have been the evidence room clerk. Mm. <laughs>
1: Imagine that shit, right?
0: <laughs> well yeah. at least. And, not,
1: and I, while he was while he was on the stand, my lawyer tripped him up and he ended up admitting that he had a key to my office. Uh-huh. And and see what they didn't know was uh, you know, the the agents that the the agent in charge that didn't show up the court, and one of his statements that the guy that did show up was reading. He said that they went in my office and looked where I told them my evidentiary paperwork was, and there was nothing there. But what they didn't know was, is um, I don't know how your guys' evidence forms are, but when we fill out an evidence form, there's uh, four copies.
0: Yeah, it's like four or five there,
1: copies. Yeah, there's a copy that goes with your shit. There's a copy that goes with your report. There's a copy that you keep, and then there's another copy. Well, what they didn't know was is the way I'd done that, I, I had a composition book. And everything I touched, I wrote down in order in that composition book. And then I went in and made the evidentiary forms. right? Well, they tore. Oh, I, I'm assuming since they had pictures of him in my office, he had ripped out the papers out the composition book. So there was nothing in there. And then he took you know, the paperwork that was in my filing cabinet, so there was nothing there. So they wrote in the report that there were no signs of me doing any kind of, um, you know, paperwork showing that I had destroyed the evidence. But what they didn't know was the extra copy, I had copies of those at the house. <laughs> and I also have photocopies of every page of that composition book. Like every time I fill up a page, I would. I bring that conversation book home and put it on on my printer, and I print a copy and then take the notebook back to work with me. So everything that he took out of my office, I had backup copies at my house. That's a good thing. And I would. Well, I wouldn't have done that. You remember when we first started this conversation? My 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 old training sergeant at Lawrence PD. He told me. He said. Make sure when you're doing this, cover your ass from all angles. And that's what I did.
0: I just threw my <laughs> paperwork I found in a closet from people I arrested like 20 years ago. I'm like, I don't think I need this no more.
1: <laughs> Finally, it's like right.
0: old notes and all that stuff like that. I <laughs> kept. Yeah. Well, now
1: that we got all the serious shit out of the way, like I said, it, it, um, It really changed my perspective on law enforcement. Like I said, a lot of people, they'll watch, you know, my TikTok content. And some people take it as I'm anti-law enforcement now. And some people take it as I'm pro-law enforcement. Um, I'm really, to be honest with you, I'm really neither. Um, Going through all this, it really made me, you know, open my eyes up to individuality. You know what I'm saying? If you're not, you know, if you're not in the good old boy clip, you got to cover your ass, you know?
0: Oh, yeah, especially the and, smaller ones.
1: Right. And how how quick they were able to, oh, uh, let me just add this for the people listening, and and I'll send you this picture as well. During my interrogation, the agent that didn't show up now, he told me, that old crybaby ass that wrote the letter, the, the initial letter that was written to them about concerns of the evidence missing. He was like, well, I don't know why he was writing this letter. Cause I, I mean, he was like, I don't know. Cause I don't know him like that. You know, me and him, you know, he's like, I know of him, but you know, that's about it. Like, you know, I've never worked with him. I don't, you know, I don't know who his family is. Like he basically told me, he, you know, he knows of this son of a bitch, but he doesn't know him, right? Well, I'll send you the picture, man. Uh, the very next year, like like I said, the shit drug on, you know, I was actually in office for like a year and a half. My trial lasted a little over two years. So by the time all this is over with, guess what's coming up? Election, Election. <laughs> Right, okay. The same motherfucker that was in charge of my investigation at SLED ran for sheriff against the sheriff that I was pretty cool with. Right. Hmm. You know what his campaign slogan was? (laughs) Accountability.
0: Oh, here we go.
1: He ran his campaign on accountability and integrity. Right. Well, somebody sends me a picture that these motherfuckers posted on Facebook. Oh boy, that wrote the letter to get the investigation started and cried in my office, and and the agent in charge that didn't show up that that you know put all these charges on me. They're standing there side by side, each one of them's got their arm around the other, and in big bold letters at the top, oh, I would like to thank Agent Such and Such for coming by to check on me, and and you know he's the. He's the, the best candidate, you know, for the job, 2020. Mm. And I'm like, God damn, I thought y'all didn't know each other, you know? And, uh, and, I mean, it was a shit show, man. And I, like I said, I appreciate you letting me well, in. It, and it feels it, good to get it off my at chest. At least it, it and, worked uh, out for you. <laughs> yeah, it did. It was, it, nonetheless, though, man, it was, uh, it was a rough time.
0: No, I um, can imagine it's stressed, you know, sitting there. With- yeah, it. Trying to, he's looking it, at ten years, especially if you, know, you didn't do nothing,
1: right? And it and it really, um, you know, to be honest with you, man, it opened my eyes up to the fact that if they could do this to a police chief, you know, what about all these people? You know, and I'm not saying everybody that that cries, you know, hey, I didn't do this shit, is anything because you're as a police officer, you are as well. Um, people lie all the fucking time, yeah. but, but at the, but at the same time, that small percentage of people, man, you know, it really opened my eyes up to the fact that, you know, some of these guys that, that are investigators that do patrol, um, that could possibly have a vendetta against somebody. How quick, that they can set their ass right on up and take their freedom from. And it made me look at, it made me look at the job, man, different. You know, I'm not going to lie to you about that. It made me you know, it, well, you it,
0: definitely it said I put a bad taste in your mouth. I mean, it it
1: it, it did. And it, and it hurt me more than anything because, you know, um, talking about all that bad shit, you know, I, 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 you know we didn't get to touch on all the good that I was doing in the community. I mean, we did a, um, while I was doing all this other stuff, administrative duties and things like that, um, we were putting on programs for um, the youth and stuff in the community. Um, I was coaching youth football through all this. I'm just really involved in the community. And man, I ain't going to lie to you, man. I'd be a liar if I told you I didn't cry because it broke my heart. Um, you know, I had people that would come up to me it was like, man, I know you didn't do this. Uh, God, I hope you get your job back. You know, you've done, you know. I mean, like, I had people that I didn't even really know. Like, man, we love you. We love what you're doing over here. We love the fact that you're trying to be a positive influence on these young kids. Uh, like I said, man, it's it's kind. Of, it's still kind of tough to talk about, and it's and it's kind of touchy because it it did it, it it got me real emotional, not. Not for the fact that they drug me through the mud, but just for the fact
0: that. Well, something you're dedicated. Right. 12, 13 years of your life doing.
1: Right. And, and
0: all of a sudden, they're going to accuse you. I mean, unfortunately, unfortunately, there's bad people in every profession. <clears throat> exactly. It's just, you know, if you have a, unfortunately, if you have a bad McDonald's worker, the worst thing you might eat is a booger or some spit. <laughs> right <laughs> uh, but on the other hand, you know you got people that are in law enforcement that you know you do have bad ones they can take your 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 freedom away from you i I read yep. a story not too long ago uh I forget what state it was out of or whatever, but there was video and I like, watched video and all that stuff, and it was a it was this this cop, and you know he's like always making all these drug arrests and he ended up getting busted. They caught him finally planting dope on people right that's just yep. that's just totally wrong now, yep. yes i know at least i, said, I can go to bed mm-hmm. at night knowing but basically i'm just a traffic cop but the people i have arrested or the people i've write tickets to i gotta be able to clear conscience because if i have any doubt in my mind if it was this car or that car if i don't if i couldn't if i can't get on the stand and say 100 yeah this right. person did I, I, i'm not even gonna stop you Yep. And, or, and, and I'm not going to arrest you.
1: Yeah. And, and, I, and I'll be honest with you, man. And, I, and I've said this. I've said this in my TikTok content before. Um, fortunately, the the previous department that I worked for in Florence, Florence City, and, and I'll say that name proudly, man, Florence City Police. When the years that I worked there, we had a really good group of guys. I never witnessed nobody, um, intentionally shit on nobody or arrest them for no reason. Or, uh, I never worked with anybody that was, uh, prejudiced one way or the other. Um, there was a couple of assholes, but they, I didn't work with them personally. Like it would be like, um how you were saying you were working details. Like when we had overtime details, they would come in and work on our shift for like extra manpower. Yeah. Now I did run into, there was two incidents and almost in 10 years, there was two incidents and both of those, I can't remember if they got charged or not, but I know they got fired for sure. And you know what happened after that? I'm not sure, but kind of, you know, reflecting on what you just said, um, where I was doing interdiction stuff, a lot of people would call me to assist with searches. <clears throat> and after, excuse me, after doing, you know, five years of interdiction training, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I knew how to search a car. Yeah. And so this guy asked me to assist him with a search while he stood at the back of the car with a with suspect. Well, I searched that car. And I know I searched, kind of like what you just said. I know I searched that car. I didn't smell anything. I didn't even smell the slightest hint of weed. I didn't see anything. Right? There's no shake in the floorboard. Nothing. Like I saw nothing. And so I come back, and he was like, "Did you find anything?" I was like, "Nah, man. I ain't, I ain't see nothing." I was like, I, I, "You know, I tossed it pretty good. I ain't see anything." Do you mind if I take a look? You know, you hang out with him. Let me go take a look. Yeah, sure, go ahead. He goes up there, and I'm talking about two minutes, man. Hey, where that damn? How'd you miss this? And I'm like, I'm looking like I know this motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? Like I know, I know this motherfucker put this weed in this man's car.
0: But how do you prove that? Exactly. You know, I don't know why some people and, and well, like they and, need and to make. They, I guess, they're trying to make a name for. I, don't, I, don't, I don't. Right. And, like and I said, I, I got too much integrity. What, I couldn't sleep but, with myself.
1: <laughs> but what's? But but how you gonna make a name for yourself? Busting somebody for five grams, man. That's that's nothing. Yeah. Hey, you know what I mean? Like I, why I why know. why was just to lock somebody up? You're gonna charge them with five grams that I know you put in there. You and,
0: bad players.
1: Well, and like I said, that was just, you know, out of 10 years, there was two isolated incidents. That was one. And another was, uh, I was over in my district and they called the investigator to the scene. And so he and the victim start going back and forth arguing because she wasn't liking what he was saying. And she was kind of being an asshole, you know? And, uh, so he comes out of his mouth you know i talk kind of weird man but he uh you know he he calls me over to the door and i'm like yeah man what you need he's like won't you come in here and talk to your people because i can't understand this abonics bullshit she's talking and she looked at him and i looked at her and she looks at me and she was like i said what the fuck you mean my people and she was like, yeah, what the fuck do you mean, his people? You know, and it just, and it turned into a big deal. Like she, you know, she called the lieutenant. She wanted to speak to somebody and rightfully
0: so. Well, I mean, that's kind but, of uh, a racist type. <laughs> yeah. I
1: mean, and, and you know, and like I told you, man, I've dealt with, you know, I'm married interracially. And I, I had, I had a sergeant when I first started, uh, you know. I, I've, I've been divorced and, and it's my wife I'm with now is my second wife and at this particular time my wife that I'm with now we was just about to get married and so my sergeant pulls up beside me while I'm typing our reports one night. He pulls up, rolls his window down. He's like, hey, Chang, how you doing? I'm like, Man, I'm good, sir. how you doing? You know, he's like, I'm good. He's like, hey, uh, I saw your request for him for your time off for your win. I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I signed it, man. He's like, congratulations. I said, I appreciate it. Thanks, sir. And he says, uh, and I said, no bullshit, man. He says, so. He said, hey, uh, can I ask you something? I said, yes, sir. He said, the first gal you married to, that was a black gal. I said, yes, sir. He said, oh, gal, you fit to marry next week? That was a black gal too. I said, yes, sir. He rolled the wind up, drove the fuck off, and never spoke to me again. <laughs> no shit. If he had anything to say to me, he would send my corporal man. He would. He never talked to me after that again. Jeez.
0: I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, we're gonna cut this seriousness one off. <laughs>
1: ah yeah, got- yeah. I'm ready to move on, man. I'm we, uh, ready to move on to some funny so, shit, bro. So, all the
0: listeners, we got the we got the serious out the way. Y'all have to come back next week. To hear the funny, so we're gonna end this one. <laughs> Me and him gonna continue after we end this one. Then, <laughs> but y'all gonna right, to, right. y'all gonna have to come back next week to hear the funny part of it. So remember to like and share, share and like, leave a five share star life, review. Baby. Yeah, you know. Oh, you wanna? Do you have your own podcast? You
1: wanna put? Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm working on it. Uh, it's on YouTube also. It's uh, JC Three Podcast. Um, I only have one episode right now because I'm working the story that you guys just got finished listening to, I'm working on putting it out. It's going to be like documentary style. I have all my records from my trial that I'm going to post on there for everybody to look at, um, charging documents, evidence documents, everything. So it'll be laid out for everybody to see. Um, and I want people to see it, you know, like I said, just trying to raise a little bit of awareness that sometimes bad shit does happen to good people. And, uh, but you know, it's it's how you overcome and move forward. So,
0: All right. So we're going to end this one, and uh, you stand by. We'll close it out, and then we'll y'all come back next week and let's address that. And always remember to smile, because Ice Man could always be behind you. <laughs>